Thank you. Welcome back to the Professor Penn Podcast. This is episode number 68. David Penn here. Glad you're back. Hope you're well. Um, we started out there with a cold open. That was the recent Belt and Road Forum. We're going to talk a little bit about Belt and Road, and we're going to talk about China today. A very quick uh, uh, view into what an alternative to the G7 looks like. That is an alternative to the Western globalists. That's a China-led economic bloc. We're moving towards a multipolar world. That's the story around the campfire, that we're moving to multipolarity, which means there's going to be a little warp and woof as the world readjusts to a multi-center of power around the world. Since World War II, uh, most of the power in this country has resided in this country, the United States of America, manufacturing power, technology power, academic power, ideological power, military power. Uh, Of course, we have our little buddies over in Europe that we drag along with us, the Europeans, the Japanese, Israel. we got our group of folks, our league, and this league has been the winning league for a long time. But guess what? It's hard to win the World Series year after year after year. And we have this competing um, group now, Russia, China, Iran, and all those other countries that were involved in this Belt and Road Forum. We need to consider that as American citizens and try to understand what that means to us as individuals, as a, as a country, as a community. But before we do that, I want to thank Free People Radio. Free People gives the Professor Penn podcast this forum. I do appreciate it. Free People is a lot of work and it's a lot of investment. If you like the content on Free People, please visit freepeopleradio.com. As I keep saying, we have a lot of controversy around the campfire here. Do we sell advertising? Um, Or do we have listener and viewer support? We're not trying to get rich. We don't want to go broke. Please, if you like the content, if you like, please call me crazy. Uh, Hebrews is coming soon. We're going to have Dan Schultz's precinct strategy coming up on free people. We have more and more content coming, the Royce White Show. There's a lot of cool stuff going on here, and we would really love it if we could just get by with viewer and listener support. There's four ways to support us there. Go check it out. If it works for you, great. And if you do, thank you very much. Another in-house strategy to pay the bills, TireGet.com. TireGet, TireGet.com. TireGet is an online e-commerce tire retailer. TireGet.com has all the tires you need for all the vehicles that you own. It's very cool. We have uh, inventory in 80 major metro markets. That covers probably 70, 75% of the population of this country where you can buy all the major brand tires, all the low-cost tires at the best possible price. And when you go to TireGet, we will handle your installation. We will ship the tires you buy to the local dealer five minutes from your house. They'll put the tires on for you. You'll make an appointment. The tires will be there. You'll show up. They'll put them on. It's cashless at the dealer, and the tires are there. The service is there, and in and out you go. It's the best price with the best service, customer service. Hey, you might meet Professor Penn for customer service. And guess what? you got to buy tires from someone. When you buy it from TireGet, you're supporting the movement. So thank you very much for supporting TireGet.com. FreeSyncStrategy.com. Before we do that, 
my young producers. You see, that was an exactly a 60-second spot. It's got to be cut and clipped, and that's every time we do it. A little in-house work here. you got to watch how the sausage gets made because we're going to see Target coming up all across media because there's a lot of people in the alternative media that see tires as the ultimate way to support truth media. Truth media and the patriot economy have to work together. The patriot economy is you, the viewers and listeners, our community, supporting those people and those companies that are participating in bringing an alternative narrative to your life. We don't say we know the truth, but we're seeking the truth together, which is better than getting a canned script from someone and reading it. You know, good looking, but not too smart. We want to be good looking, but we also want to have a brain. And we want to be entertaining. We want to engage you. But what we really want is to work together to seek the truth. And many of you know that I'm in the live chats. I'm responding to your texts and your emails as much as I can. And I'm going to say this over and over. If I don't respond, it's not personal. I have so much correspondence. I'm trying to get back to as many people as I can as quickly as I can. And thank you for joining this uh, community and helping us build free people because we are a citizens union aimed at bringing about a well-being culture in the United States of America. We don't want empire. We don't want endless deficits. We don't want inflation. What we want is a balanced budget, borders, limited ambition. We want every political decision to be based on what's good for the American people not for the military-industrial complex, for the media-industrial complex, for the universities, all these different centers of power that rob us. You know, they're, they're putting us down. They're, they're talking down to us. No, 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 no. We are the United States of America. We're a self-governing nation of individuals. We're free. And what we really want is to maintain our human freedom. That's what we're doing at Free People of America and at Free People Radio. That's why we're going to be involved with Dan Schultz, PrecinctStrategy.com, because it's a tutorial for everything we need to get into the game of politics. And it's very important. Now, Professor Penn is going to keep saying it, 24 hours a year. Like for my young producers, they got political ideas. They know they're getting screwed. What they don't know is they can change the country with an investment of 24 hours a year. That's all you need to do is to become a delegate to your party, be it Democrat or Republican, because, hey, both parties suck. There's just one party. It's a uni party. And if we're going to make a difference in these parties, it's, it's going to be because American citizens get involved, take one day a year, don't complain, don't piss and moan, get off the couch, get in the game, get a seat at the table, and preserve your freedom and your well-being. It's up to us. Because quite evidently, the people that are running this show don't give a about the American people. There's a bleep for you. You might want to put that on the script. We don't swear on the Professor Penn podcast because I don't want to alienate anybody with swearing. But, you know, I do use salty language. I just bleep it out. We believe in the power of prayer. And uh, why do we believe in the power of prayer? Well, it's very simple. If we believe in a God and we attune ourselves to a spiritual world, we're self-governing. If we don't believe in God, we need a government to control us. It's just that simple. It's either 
submission to the Lord, which is a lifelong process of work, or servitude to a government of men. Make a choice, make a decision, and you'll have to live with your decision. And unfortunately, so will I. We're all at that moment. The crossroads. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and the earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. This is an ancient prayer. I've updated it. One day it'll be posted on a website, and you can study it. And if you notice how I composed this prayer, I'm not asking God. I'm thanking God. Because we're taught how to pray. Whatsoever you wish for when you pray, believe that you've received it and ye shall have it. And if we learn that and we master that, we are going to encounter the supernatural in our lives. I've got young producers in the audience. I don't know if they believe in God or not. I never asked them. But let's say they don't. And if they hear what I'm saying and they experiment with it, because they're young, they're experimenting with everything with girls, with drugs, who knows what they're experimenting with. If they experiment with prayer, they might find a miracle in their lives. Wouldn't that be cool? If all the young people suddenly, well, wow, there's a God. They didn't teach me that in school. They used to. They used to teach everyone how to find God in school up until about 1900. Then we had the progressive movement, and education was changed. But before about 1900, people went to school to get a theological education. Isn't that interesting? I bet you didn't know that. All right. Well, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. That's why Professor Penn has been given such great health so that I can pass on some of these things so they're not forgotten. I'm going to try something here. It's difficult. Uh, There's a long psalm. It's really long. I'm going to try to read it. I watch, when I read these long psalms, I'm watching in the live chats, people go away. I hope you can stay with me, because these psalms are fantastic. It's a great place for people to interface with the supernatural, because King David knew how to pray. I may even stop and comment about some of this. This is Psalm 37. It's famous. Do not fret, in other words, don't worry, because of those who are evil, or be envious, don't be jealous, for those who do the wrong thing. For like the grass, they will soon wither, 
like green plants, they will soon die away. In other words, the evildoers, they're going to go away like the grass and fall. Trust in God and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in God and it will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight, be joyful in your relationship with God and you will get the desires of your heart. Commit your way to God and trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be quiet before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not worry when people succeed in their ways when they carry out wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn away from your wrath. Do not worry, it only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope and trust in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you will look for them, they will be nowhere to be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. This is David writing this long before the New Testament, where it was written that the meek shall inherit the earth, because the New Testament is the continuation and the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Just want to have a sidebar there. Please excuse me. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. We see that every day, don't we? But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to kill those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of the wicked. Think about this one. This is a great one. Better, I say this to some of my wealthy friends who watch me. Better the little amount of money that the righteous have than the wealth of the many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, and the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure, as Bob Marley sang, for ivor. In times of disaster they will not wither. In the days of famine which are coming, they will not they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay. But the righteous give generously. There are people who are watching this that know, that's me. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. But those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. In other words, if we have joy in our relationship with God, we won't stumble. Though he may stumble, let's say we stumble anyhow, because we're far from perfect. I will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children children begging for bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. 
turn for this. Just let me just say it. It reminds me of my dear friend who died from COVID. He's got four fantastic sons. He raised them in the way, and they're following after him. He's left an inheritance of righteousness to a world. My good friend, Chris Foley, God bless you. This is how we pray. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. See, now here, we're being told what to do. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom. That's why we have a community of truth seekers. So we're wise. And our tongue will speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. It's in your heart. Paul talked about the circumcision of the heart. Their feet do not slip. The wicked lie and wait for the righteous. And yes, they do. They're in the live chat. Intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Oh, isn't that appropriate? Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant tree, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. Listen, listen, and you will hear this now, those of us who are caught up in this drama in the Middle East. Listen what's in the book, the Old Testament. A future awaits those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. You know, this is a great psalm, and it takes work. It takes work to develop your faith. That's why we read these things. I've been reading the psalms my entire life. I continue to read them. I'm sharing them with you. Sometimes they're short. Sometimes they're long. Of course, when I get in there and put some commentary in, I'm doing it to break it up. Really, when you find the Psalms, and if you don't have a Bible, buy one. It's the most purchased book in the history of the world. Just start with the Psalms, because David teaches us how to pray. All right, let's get into some current events. The split. The split. Let's talk about China and Belt and Road. Can you cue up this piece here, a five-minute piece on China's Belt and Road Initiative? We're going to go from the spiritual to the material. Well, as the U.S. amps go. up its chips restrictions in China, we're going to continue this. And China is welcoming Russian President Vladimir Putin to Beijing for the 10th year anniversary of its Belt Road Initiative. China has already invested more than a trillion dollars into global infrastructure and accumulated nearly 150 partner nations. Our next guest warns, though, the initiative's new plans could be a formidable issue for the U.S. So let's bring in CNBC contributor Dewardrick McNeil. He's also the managing director and senior policy analyst at Longview Capital. Dewardrick, thank you so 
so much for being here with us. I, I guess just sort of lay out your theory or your thesis right now about the, the new initiative for Belt Road China and what it means for the U.S. Why should we be worried about this? Uh, certainly. I'd also love to come back to the NVIDIA chips conversation because sure. I have uh, some slight uh, points I would like for Tim to consider. But with respect <laughs> to BRI, listen, I think that we know that this is an initiative that was uh, very much dear to Xi Jinping and his desire to really sort of show China's influence. And a lot of that over the last 10 years was in sort of old, old infrastructure, uh, roads, rail, bridges, ports. But I think the real question is, what's the next act? And, you know, what I'm looking for is what is China going to do to retool the Belt and Road Initiative around green tech uh, and new energy infrastructure and supply chains that control critical minerals at the source, perhaps uh, invest in processing on site where they're digging some of those minerals. And look, the U.S. is behind the eight ball when it comes to a lot of the sort of critical mineral infrastructure and the green tech. And, and China is going to press advantage there. And I think we're going we're gonna to see that. Look, they've gotten really good at building EV infrastructure in China. What better way to juice their own automobiles in third markets than to go in some of these places under a retrofitted BRI and start to build EV infrastructure there that BYD and Xpeng and NEO can use to sell their automobiles. So, you know, I think the U.S. government is going to have to get really serious here about what we do in the critical mineral and the green technology space because China sees advantage, and I think they're going to press that. Go ahead, then, and make your points about NVIDIA and what we heard today uh, with the United yeah, States so, uh, tightening these restrictions. That's good. Thank you very much. Thank you. We don't have to get into the uh, details of how uh, the countries are fighting with each other. Can you put up this picture along with me of the Belt and Road Initiative? Okay. Now, look. Now, this is really interesting. You see, China, that's the world island. We've talked about it on the Professor Penn podcast out of the crown in the late 1800s came, came the Mackinder theory of the world island, which is Eurasia. You're looking at it. Mackinder theorized that whoever controlled the world island controlled the world, and the control of the heartland of the world island was key to dominance of the Eurasian landmass. And as we've said, Mackinder identified, guess where? The Ukraine as the linchpin of control of the Eurasian landmass. Well, look what the Chinese are doing. All those lines, those are railroads, those are roads, those are the ways the Chinese are moving goods across the Eurasian landmass all the way to the crown. You see UK there, it goes right to England. They're moving their goods directly from China across the entire Eurasian landmass acquiring great wealth in doing so, creating uh, vassal states that, you know, are, are in this strategy. And they're doing it for one really critical reason, because the British and the Americans control the seas. And they don't want to have a naval war. They've got an alternative way of getting things out of China to Eurasia, to Africa, and avoid the choke points that are inherent in a water strategy. They don't want war. At least that's what they're telling Professor Pat. Very directly, because I have that kind of connection. 
And I can see, if you're going to go spend a trillion dollars to create something like this, which could be trashed in an afternoon of bombing, why would you want to go to war? Their entire strategy is to win economically, not to win militarily. There it is, looking at us on the screen. China's top diplomat, Wang Yi, is going to be in the United States this week. By the time we get back together next Tuesday, we're going to get the propaganda of what was talked about. Of course, we'll never know what was talked about. But they're running over here because what the Chinese see is the crazy globalists, and this is the way America's been a long time. Let me just share with you. Our country dropped two nuclear bombs on two Japanese cities for no military reason. We've been through it. You can go back. I'll even find the episode, and we'll reference it in the future. Leader after leader from General Eisenhower on down said, unnecessary. Why was it done? Because our leadership has a very great advantage over the rest of the world. We got this kind of schizophrenic thing going, Democrats and Republicans. That's a scam. There's one uni party, but if they want to run a Democrat out there, they're going to get one kind of look, and then they're going to run a Republican out there, and they're going to get another kind of look, and that's every four years. So all the rest of the countries that are dictatorships, much more stable governance, they have no idea what schizophrenic crazy person is going to show up to run the United States of America. We drop nuclear bombs after all. We do really crazy There's a bleep. You might want to mark that on the timetable there. We do crazy things. We, we, if you go back and look at the history after World War II, our Secretary of State, Jimmy Burns, he threatened the Russians with nuclear war every week. Hey, do what we tell you to do or we're going to nuke you. Why do you think there was a nuclear weapons proliferation? Because everybody had to arm up as a deterrence. That would be called mutually assured destruction. But here we are. It's been a long time since we've killed a lot of people overnight. Long time. And we're doing it again. There's all these talks of war, rumors of war. People are talking about nuclear war. Hey, the Chinese are running over here because they know that they've invested trillions and trillions of dollars. I know the Chinese people don't want to go to war because for the first time in hundreds of years, everybody in China's making money. Everybody's got a house, a car. They've all got everything they want. They have a great life. They don't want to see it get blown up. So while the Chinese are being erected as a huge military threat here, they really don't want to go to war. At least that's what they tell me. And they're telling me quite directly, because what's not on that Belt and Road Initiative picture is they're investing billions and billions of dollars to create manufacturing, guess where? In Mexico. Just south of the border, the Chinese have come to town. And I don't mean with a little pop stand. I'm talking about billions and billions of dollars of investment are being made just south of our border. And what the Chinese are saying when they do this is that they are going to comply with U.S. law because, after all, to ship product from Mexico to the United States, you must comply with President Trump's recent USMCA, the United States-Mexico-Canada Free Trade Agreement. 
It was an update that Trump put in place during his presidency. It's a very much more American-centric trade agreement. So the Chinese are saying to me, because they came in and told me, yes, I have those kind of connections. I've said on this broadcast, I'm a reformed globalist. Had I maintained myself as a globalist, I would be quite wealthy. Woke up one day in 2015, covered in sweat, and said, oh, I cannot do this. And I reeled in my ambitions, and now I can't even afford to go out to eat. That's okay, because I do believe the Lord will protect me. I made a decision. I was either going to go the material road or the spiritual road. I chose the spiritual road. That was my choice. I have to live with the decision. And I get the benefit of it all the time. Now, looking at it from the outside, people might not see it. But I feel all these miracles happening in my life all the time because all my faith is in God. So I get all these miracles. But I know they're miracles. In fact, I describe it to people in my life, and they just say, oh, you just work hard. Oh, you just are the smartest. I had a really good friend of mine in California said, did you ever think it happens because you're the smartest guy? I'm not the smartest guy. He thinks I'm the smartest guy because maybe I'm smarter than him. I'm not the smartest guy. And I get these blessings and I'm always just a step ahead of complete destruction. But I keep giving more and more of my life over to this work, and God is maintaining me because I'm here to work with the young people in the room, with everybody that's listening. We're creating a community of American citizens that want freedom. And freedom is granted to us in our declaration because freedom is an unalienable right granted to us by our Creator. So there's a relationship between America and a creator. That is very unique. So the Chinese have built this phenomenal international infrastructure to win the material game. And they're winning it. We started out, go back if you came late, at the cold open, we showed the Belt and Road Forum that happened last week in Beijing. It's many, many countries, dozens of countries that are now in the Chinese orbit, they're no longer in the Western orbit. They've left the Western orbit and gone to the Belt and Road Forum because they see more material benefit in playing ball with the Chinese. They don't care about the spiritual implications of that. They don't care about freedom or democracy. They care about materialism. And, you know, we criticize the Chinese a lot. And here's the deal in China with the people because there's a billion and a half of them. Here's their deal. Government, as long as you let me make money and I have my material high, we don't care what you do. Well, is that any different than the United States of America? Isn't that what we're doing here in our country? As long as we can get high and we got the Internet and there's porn that's free and we can go party, we don't really care what the government does? Is Don't we have the same deal here? We just don't think about it that way, and why don't we? Because in China, it's a one-party government, and the government is large and in charge. It's a totalitarian state. We don't have to be explicit about our deal here because we got the vote, right? We can vote. So we actually have a stake in the game. 
Do we? Is there really a choice? We're making the same deal here in this country with our government that the Chinese people have made. As long as I got what I need, and I don't, what do I need? I want to get high. I want to get laid. I don't want to starve. And if you're going to let me go to seed, and I can do any sinful thing I want to, and it's good, hey, it's a big win for all. Right, guys? Kind of the world we're living in, right? Their heads are shaking up and down. We got new young producers in here that are getting trained in because we got more content coming. We need more people. Isn't that cool? Well, let's talk about something else that's related to this. The dignity of work. The dignity of doing a hard day's labor. The dignity of being able to support your family without government assistance. How do you do that? That's called having a good job. And good jobs have been shrinking in this country since China was admitted to the World Trade Organization and we gave China most favored nation status to trade with the United States of America. There's been maybe 12 million jobs have been lost in this country. Those jobs transferred from the heartland of our country to China. And our leadership tells us it's a good thing, by the way. We're transitioning. Well, you know, if you've lost your job making 40 bucks an hour and you've transitioned to working at Subway, it's, and I don't mean anything bad about Subway if you're working at Subway, but if you're working in the audio industry, let's say, or the tire industry, and you lost your job because your factory was closed and now you have to work at a fast food restaurant, it's still dignified work and I respect you for doing it. And I would do it before I would take money from the government. That's what Professor Penn would do. I would live in a box on the street before I would take assistance. But, hey, that's me. In my generation, taking assistance was not thought of in such a positive way. I want to make a deal with the government, too. Leave me the bleep alone. And, you know, I'm not supposed to say bleep, so let me say it again and bleep it out. Leave me the f*** alone, and I'm going to take care of myself, whatever, wherever it takes me, okay? That's how I, and if we could get that spirit back, because that spirit's not been seen in this country since about 1969. If we could get that spirit back where people wanted to self-govern their health and their wealth and their families, that's what America was intended to be. And you know what that creates? A better country. Not for everybody. America had its sins. We know it. But overall, but the question you're going to be asked in the next election is, is life better now than it was four years ago? And everybody's going to have to answer that. And here's what the Democrat Party is going to do. It's going to run on two issues. Three, a woman's right to choose, protection of the rights of the LGBTQ plus community, and taking away guns. That's how they're going to run. Okay, is life better? I'm just going to ask everybody. I know this audience is all going to say life's gone to There's another bleep. However, not everybody believes that. So we have to be selling the idea as a community, maybe spreading out the podcast, clicking the like button, 
helping us break these out, al- you know, these algos, if you go leave a comment after the show or you click the like button, it helps get the podcast into the rotation. So please click the like button, leave comments, go back. I'm probably going to answer them. And we have to go out and convince our friends and neighbors that we don't think life's getting better. And, you know, they got inflation too. It, you know, inflation is kind of an equal opportunity robbery. It'll rob you if you're white and rich, white and poor, black and rich, black and poor, gay, straight, immigrant, native-born. If you're living here, your standard of living's getting diminished. All right, let's talk about how to start turning this stuff around. Here's a word that has a very negative connotation. It's protectionism. Could you play this piece? I know a little something about the tire business. We're going to dwell into this for a minute. Play, this is very interesting. Please join us on a virtual tour of the new Double Coin Commercial Tire Plant in Rayong Province, Thailand. You'll be amazed at the sophisticated technologies and processes that go into producing today's highly complex tires. And we think you'll reach the same conclusion shared by thousands of trucking fleets and owner-operators that DoubleCoin is at the vanguard of advanced tire manufacturing. Before we enter one of the world's most advanced and intelligent tire manufacturing facilities, let's visit a nearby rubber tree plantation. Remember that at any time during your tour, you can look around to see the action. At the rubber plantation, workers are collecting natural rubber much the way it has been done for more than 100 years. Every day, workers collect the milky liquid that is accumulated from each tree. It may seem like an antiquated, time-consuming process, but it is still the best way to collect the sap, scoring each tree with a diagonal line and letting the sap collect in small bowls. Now let's step inside the double coin facility. The first step is the mixing of raw materials to form the rubber compound. Computer systems, which control every step of the process, contain recipes of natural and synthetic (laughs) rubber, carbon black, sulfur, and other chemicals and oils. Once a batch of rubber has been mixed, it goes through powerful rolling mills that squeeze the batch into thick sheets. These sheets are then used to make the specific parts of the tire. Computer-controlled forklifts collect the pallets and place them in storage racks for later use. Take a look around. You see highly complex equipment working in an ultra-clean environment. What you don't see are many human workers. With robotics and highly advanced automation, this double coin plant can operate at full capacity with only 500 people. That's producing approximately 4,100 truck and bus radials and 136 off-the-road radials each day. To put this into perspective, a plant producing this number of units just a few years back would have employed 2,500 people. This means consistent, high-quality tires for double coin customers. You stop These highly sophisticated. This is very critical for all of us. Do you notice that the participation of humanity is being diminished and the tagline is, the quality's better? A, they don't need us anymore. Isn't that great? Please continue. The machines operate to extremely exacting standards that would have been unimaginable just a few years ago. Here is where the actual tire making process begins. The pallets of folded rubber sheets are fed into this machine, where they are heated, pressed, and trimmed by width and length. These pieces will become the tread rubber of the tire. The tread packages are stored on racks. 
then transported by automated forklift to be stored and await the next part of the process. Here, we see the assembly of profiled rubber bands into sturdy steel-reinforced bead rings used for holding the tire firmly on the rim. This machine is taking diagonally cut strips of rubber and seaming them together into one continuous length. With this state-of-the-art automation, the factory processes 10 tons of rubber every hour. Now it's time to assemble the inner tire, referred to as a green tire. The various components are transported by conveyor to the assembly drum. First, sidewalls are laid out on the drum, followed by the main tread rubber, support pieces such as steel belts and piles of fabric, and then another layer of rubber. The tire building machine seams it all together. It heats and rotates the green tire to ensure proper adhesion. Air bladders inflate to shape the tire. Rollers move in to ensure the sidewalls have the proper shape. With that complete, a worker removes it and the green tire is transported to the next part of the process. The green tire is placed in a blue storage tray where it is sent to a large refrigerated holding area. The uncured tire will remain in this cooled unit until it is sent via automated carts to the final curing process. Again, all controlled by computers. The green tire is inserted into the curing press as a cartridge. In the curing press, great heat and pressure are applied to the green tire to form the tire's final shape and tread pattern. The fully formed tire is sent on to be inspected for uniformity, balance, symmetry, and overall quality. Everyone knows that tires are round, right? But did you know that some tires are rounder than others? Even the smallest variation in roundness can lead to reduced tread wear and vibration. Thanks to the highly advanced machines and stringent manufacturing processes you've witnessed on this tour, double coin tires are very, very round. Once a tire has been thoroughly inspected, it is laser etched with its own serial number, which enables double coin to track and trace every single tire for ultimate service to our customers. The completed tires are organized and stacked in the factory's completely automated warehouse, where they await transport to double coin dealers. We hope you enjoyed your tour of one of the world's most advanced tire manufacturing facilities. For more information, you know, Professor Penn loves the tire business. I've been in it a long time and I'm an expert in it. So I want to comment on about this a little bit. This is this factory is in Thailand. These are truck tires. They go on the big trucks you see on the road. The United States of America, our beloved country, consumes about 30 million truck tires a year. Let me give you a blast. Only one-third of those are actually manufactured in the United States. Two-thirds are manufactured elsewhere. What does that mean? It means if there was a sudden breakdown of trade and you went down to, let's say, the Walmart supermarket or the Costco or your local supermarket and you wanted to go get some food, it won't be there because there'll be no way to get the food to the supermarket because there'll be no tires. Isn't that great? We've actually exported out of our country the manufacture of a critical component. Now, most of the rubber trees are in Southeast Asia, but we could have alternative kinds of rubber here in the United States. We could build all of our truck tires right here in North America. It doesn't have to all be in the United States. Some could be in Mexico. Some could be in Canada. That would be under the USMCA. But right now, we are utterly and totally dependent 
on imported truck tires. We're dependent. We're not even talking about antibiotics or other kinds of drugs. I'm just talking about truck tires, something relatively mundane. And you can see how complicated the manufacturing process is and how they're, even the Chinese that have a billion and a half people are working so hard to get the people out of it. I wonder what happens next when they don't need the people. See, that's kind of that fourth industrial revolution that all this fighting, all this Democrat, Republican, BLM, Jews versus blacks, Muslims versus Jews, fighting, crime, wars, it's all a giant diversion to get into place the fourth industrial revolution. And when the fourth industrial revolution is in place, guess what's no longer necessary? That would be humanity. That's what we're talking about here on the Professor Penn Podcast. Got young people here. They're saying, what the hell is he talking about? I'm telling you, they don't need you. That's the world you're growing up in. Isn't that fun? That's what happens when you don't believe in God. Hey, humans are a commodity. Make them, break them. Doesn't matter. They're just inventory. I'm not inventory. You're not inventory. But that will only be the result if you take 24 hours a year and get a vote. Because this is all political. We still have a political process in this country. And let me tell you what's happened. We have an industrial union in this country called United Steel Workers, the USW. There's one million of them that live in Ohio and Pennsylvania, two very key swing states. And they've been watching the Biden administration and the Democrat Party, which has gone green, sell them down the river. The Biden administration is quite okay with the United States exporting out of the United States its dirty manufacturing, which the Chinese are all too happy to take. We lose the jobs, and we have the illusion of a green economy. It's not green. We've just exported the pollution to Thailand. And what's happening to these USW people is they're all losing their jobs because the Chinese have one strategy, undercut pricing in the United States so that they get the business. Because what do we all do? We've all been trained. Well, there's, a, there's an old triangle, right? You can have really great value, really, really high-quality product. You can have the lowest price, or you can have great customer service. You can pick two, but you can't have three. That's just the way business works. You can have a great product. You can have the lowest price. That doesn't go together. A great product and the lowest price, they're mutually exclusive. Or you can have great service. You can take two, but not three. So what the Chinese have done is they've got good service and they got the lowest price. And what do we all do in America? We run down to the box stores on the weekend and we buy the cheapest There you go again. Mark that one. You got the cheapest market twice. And you buy it and you don't care where it comes from. You don't care who builds it. You don't look to see it's made in the United States on the label. Doesn't matter because we're all just self-interested. We don't think about the community of Americans that are losing their jobs. So what did the USW do? They're taking a remedy. We still have politics here. They filed what's called an anti-dumping case. Anti-dumping. They are seeking a punitive tax against the 10 million truck tires that the Chinese build in Thailand and ship to the United States. One-third of the tires in this country that go on big trucks come from Thailand and from Chinese companies. They're asking for relief. They're asking for an almost 50% tax 
so the price goes up and so they don't lose their jobs. Let me write, read what the USW leader wrote. The USW, let's go back. The USW takes immense pride in its work, and the USW can compete with anyone in the world if there is a level playing field. But we cannot allow illegally dumped imports to destroy our jobs or communities. The USW has been involved in more than 100 anti-dumping trade cases in the past two decades, including in the rubber and tire industry. While we're grateful that workers have the standing to advocate on their own behalf, we shouldn't have to wage this fight on a case-by-case basis. Instead, we need strategic reform of our broken trade system so that our domestic industries can be safe from unfair trade now and into the future. Now, that's globalism these people are fighting. When I first ran into the USW, I thought they were communists. And in fact, they kind of are. Okay? They're a workers' union. But they brought up something that really moved me. This is why I stopped being a globalist, because I was going to all these trade cases, and I was looking at these people, and I realized that because of what I was doing in my business career, American citizens were losing their jobs, and I just didn't want to do that. So I've really kind of chosen a path of less wealth for myself because I have a sense of America. I love our country because it's based on an idea that there is a creator who grants all Americans certain unalienable rights. That is so meaningful to me that it modified my business behavior. I'm not completely self-interested. Or as a great philosopher once said, if I am not for myself, who will be. But if I am only for myself, what am I? That's my tradition. I'm going to tell you, you can look it up. That's a Jewish rabbi named Maimonides who wrote those great words, and they moved me. So I've modified my personal behavior, and how does that work for, for the audience? You, you will have to pay more money to buy things made in the United States of America. But when you do that, some family is going to keep their job. You know, the Chinese have always said this to me. If you guys were so interested in protecting your domestic industry, why don't American citizens buy Made in USA? And I'll tell you why we don't. We're brainwashed, we're stupid, and we're greedy, okay? We're greedy. It's all about me. Okay, so all of our people lose our jobs, right? We have more crime, more drug abuse, Now we need more government programs. We blow the deficit through the roof. Our currency fails, and we become slaves. Whose strategy is that? Well, that would be the globalist strategy because what the globalists want is for everybody to be the same. They don't want America to be a shining city on the hill where everybody in the world can aspire to freedom. That doesn't look good. If one group stands out and freedom shines, Everybody else says, you can take this communism and stick it where the sun don't shine. We don't want it. We want that America stuff. Okay, no problem. Let's have unrestricted immigration. And all these people come over here, and we end up with the same result. This stuff is not an accident. Your lives are being made poor on purpose by people my age. 
please go be delegates. Vote for your own freedom. It's very simple. Unless you want to be exactly the same like everybody else. And I think a lot of young people have been taught that that's the way they want to be. We're all snowflakes. We're all different. Let's be different, okay? So the USW has sued on this anti-dumping, and it's a really big case. Maybe that's why Wang Yi, one of the, well, they're coming over here not to have war. Maybe this case is going to be a chit in this game. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but the USW, it's a little bit of a kamikaze move on their part. This case is going to final just before the 2024 presidential election. And if President, President Biden, <clears throat> excuse me, does not take care of the USW on this case, the USW may go over the hill and vote for whoever the Republican nominee is, which looks like it's going to be President Trump. Politics is changing. Politics is changing. Why are we importing two-thirds of a critical product? Why are we so vulnerable? We're the United States of America. Do we want to be dependent or independent? These are the questions that we have to ask ourselves now and answer for ourselves. So we're going to follow this anti-dumping case because it's a case study in politics, and I'm an expert in this stuff. So I'll be able to comment on it, bring it to you. You can go look it up. Look it up for yourself. The truck tire anti-dumping case filed by the USW. It's big news. It's a big deal. All right, moving right along. Moving right along, we want to talk about globalist histories because we've got this Israel thing going on, and I found a piece that was put up by The Economist. The Economist, if you want to get into some cool reading, is kind of the newspaper. One of the, It's the news magazine of the globalist enterprise. Been around a long time. It's difficult to read if you read it for the first time. It's written for lawyers. It's written for globalists, but it's really cool. And they put up their history of the Palestine problem. So I think if we watch this, we'll get a real insight into what we're supposed to believe the truth is. Play this thing, would you please? The massacre of Israeli civilians by Hamas, a Palestinian group, and Israel's subsequent retaliation is the latest bloody eruption of a long-running conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. This conflict has its origins in a letter written more than 100 years ago and just 67 words long. In 1917, Arthur Balfour, the British Foreign Secretary, typed a note that would change the face of the Middle East. The letter was a declaration of support for Zionists who wanted to create a Jewish state in the carve stop, of the Ottoman Empire. After okay, the-, the Economist is a, a, a globalist publication. <clears throat> Their opening bid here is that the crown... supported Zionism. The crown created Israel. Are we suspicious of the crown? If we go back and look for our new producers and go back and look at the previous 67 episodes, I've been trying to draw out some distinctions and some histories so we have some suspicion about the European intellectual tradition. Okay? If we haven't got to that point with some of the viewers, they probably left, which is fine. 
but at the people who are still coming to the pro- to the podcast and are, are learning about this together with me, we understand that Israel was a creation of the British, and it was the British backing up the Zionists, and the Zionists were Jews in name only. They were actually Marxists. They were anti-Jews. They were born in Jewish families. Their fathers probably prayed three times a day, as did mine. Let me say this again. The Zionists were born into religious Jewish families at the time of the Industrial Revolution. They looked at their fathers praying three times a day, fathers who had devoted their lives to God, who were living close to the land. Most of them were farmers. They were living in poverty, which they did not care about because they were interested in the spiritual, not the material. They were learned people that were not chasing money. And these children said, we're moving to the city. Screw you and your God. We're getting our piece of the action. And they became materialists. But what they found was that the kings and queens of Europe, in association with the church, were controlling the politics of Europe. So they aligned themselves with Marx, another Jew, who had developed and was deploying an anti-crown, anti-church philosophy. It was an anti-religious, anti-God philosophy to break the control of the kings and queens of Europe over the people who were living in a feudalistic society. They were poor. They aligned with it, and the British, oh, they're so smart. Because the British don't care if they're Democrats or Republicans, Nazis or liberals, free or slave, as long as the crown makes the cash. So they figured, hey, there's a lot of oil in the Middle East. Let's stick these Jews right up the Arabs' ass and create a century of conflict. And while these two dummies are fighting with each other, we'll take all the oil out of the Middle East at pennies on the dollar. Please continue. After the First World War, the League of Nations gave Britain a mandate to rule Palestine. The Arabs, who had been living there for centuries, turned increasingly to resistance and violence, culminating in a revolt in 1936. The British crushed the uprising, but tried to win over the Arabs by restricting Jewish ambitions. After Jewish anger also turned violent, the British gave up. They handed the problem over to the United Nations. In 1947, the UN voted to partition Palestine, but the Arabs rejected this and fighting broke out once again. The last British soldiers left Palestine in May 1948. Within hours, Jewish leaders declared the establishment of the State of Israel. Neighboring Arab countries invaded immediately. In the armistice of 1949, the land was divided between Israel and Arab states, but there was no new state for the Palestinians, just two regions controlled by Egypt and Jordan, now known as Gaza and the West Bank. An estimated 700,000 Palestinians fled or were pushed out of their homes. They called this the Nakba, the catastrophe. Since then, there have been wars, uprisings, terrorist attacks and diplomatic deals. Nothing has brought lasting peace, 
or a state for the Palestinians. Since the War of 1967, many Palestinians have lived in the West Bank under Israeli occupation. Today, they're cut off by the Israeli security barrier. They have autonomy in big cities and towns, but are surrounded by Jewish settlements. Others are locked away in Gaza. This densely populated strip of land has been the scene of repeated battles, a grim pattern that seems destined to continue. Isn't that great? Well, destined to continue. Apparently, there's been a fatwa that it's time to end this, and they're going to kill every last Hamas fighter, and they're clearly driving the Palestinians out of Gaza, which would be the second Nakba. But we're not going to get into that too deeply today. We're just going to look at the history that the crowd, that the Anglo-American establishment wants us to believe about the Israel-Palestinian crisis. It's interesting. Go back and look at it. I think we'll probably come back to it. There's a lot of subtext here. And let's just look at how the archives of our history looks at this. You know, President Truman, remember Harry Truman? Some of you never. Have you all guys ever heard of Harry Truman? Great, good educations. He was the president of the United States in 1948, and the United States was the first country in the world to recognize the new state of Israel. So let's just listen to Harry, because he actually left us a record about this. Let's play a little Harry Truman on Israel. I also antagonized a lot of people by recognizing the state of Israel as soon as it was formed. Well, I had been to Potsdam, and I'd seen uh, some of the places where the Jews had been slaughtered by the Nazis. Six million Jews were killed outright men, women, and children, by the Nazis. And uh, it was my hope that they would have a homeland where they could operate. So when the time came for that, we set up the Israeli government in uh, Palestine, moved some of the Arabs out, and they were not moved out and thrown, or thrown out. They were compensated for the land that they had to give up. The Jews organized a, a government over there and it's been a successful one ever since. They've done things over there that never have been done in that part of the world before. And while it's a small republic, it's an energetic one. Not long ago, they had a fuss with Egypt. And if they hadn't been interfered with by the then president of the United States, Nasser would have been down in the Sudan where he belongs. That won't help diplomatic relations. Okay, there's a couple really key yeah. <laughs> okay, let's start with the last one first. Nasser was very dark-skinned. Sudan is the people there are are black. So, you know, he you know, President Truman even said because President Eisenhower intervened in 1952 there was a war and he stopped the Israelis from destroying Egypt. Okay, great. And he Truman said, "Oh, this isn't going to help diplomatic relations." We want this <clears throat> black president of Egypt, Nasser, President Gamal Abdul Nasser, who was a, a Marxist and a leader of the uh, revival of the, uh, the Arab countries. He was a, a big Arab leader at that time. Uh, he, he says, well, he should go back down and live with the Sudanese where he belongs. 
This is about as racist as it gets. That's our president, a Democrat president, by the way, for those of you who think the Democrat Party is all about human and civil rights because, you know, that's just the way to get votes. And then he said something very interesting also, that, you know, the Jews bought the land. That's another propaganda piece. They bought some of the land, but when the Arabs figured out that their lands were being bought up to displace the country, they went to war against the Jews, and they drove them off the land. That was called the Nakba. And how did they do it? Killing women and children and scaring the living hell out of these people so that they ran away. Okay? And then he said the third great lie in this piece, that the Jews had done things with that region that had never been done before. They industrialized the land. Yes, they did. In other words, a self-governing people that lived as farmers in harmony with nature, and they lived as Muslims in faith, with Allah. This is before there was terrorism or this Jewish-Palestinian thing, right? We're going back to the way back. These were people who lived in harmony with the land. They were farmers. So the judgment that was made here was, number one, if you're living in harmony with the land and you're self-governing, you're not doing anything. That's a judgment against faith and self-governance from a former president. Second judgment, that the Jews bought the land, which is a lie. Third judgment, that the Arabs, you know, were relocated voluntarily instead of driven off. I mean, there's so much judgment. So I'm just going to read this because I'm reading the live chats and I realize I'm saying things. Someone called me yesterday. They go, are you an anti-Semite? I go, what? I'm a Semite. They go, you're an anti-Semite. No, no, I'm not an anti-Semite because I'm sharing the history with my community that we're learning this history together. The history doesn't make me anti-Jew or pro-Jew. The history stands on its own. We can't figure out where we're going to go unless we know where we've been. And when we get into this Israel thing, we get down to the hardcore judgments that if you push on those judgments, people will attack you. And there's a lot of attacking going on. I'm reading Mark Levin's calling the Hamas Nazis, and I was watching Nick Fuentes, and he was saying the problem with the country is Jews. I mean, we're getting into the judgments here. So let me just read one more very critical piece of information. You might recognize who said this. Judge not that you will not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in yours? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. 
judge not. What is being taught to me is, don't be so judgmental. When I feel afraid or angry, I know I've hit judgments. What I do is I go inside and I go, why am I angry? Why am I reacting like this? What am I afraid of? What am I, why am I angry? And I release the judgments. And I say like, okay, I release the judgment that the Jewish people are the cause of all problems. And I release the judgment that the Jews are the solution to all the problems. I release the judgments about Jewish people. And why do I do that? First, I'm a Jew. And second of all, I want God's plan to work. When we hold tight and we don't allow new energy to come into the world, we prevent change. We're afraid of change. The Chinese philosophy is all about change. Their whole symbol, their yin-yang symbol, is all about the nature of change, that the only thing constant in our world is change. But we as human beings, we're afraid of change, generally speaking. Now, some of us, Professor Penn being among them, when your world gets shattered, as mine has been several times, you start to kind of like it. Because, hey, on the other side of change is a completely new life. I've had several distinct different lives because I'm not afraid of change. Well, let me rephrase. Of course, I'm afraid of change, but I try to embrace it as much as I can because I have faith in God. Let me read a little further, and then we'll, we'll go on. Ask, this is critical, for people who are not in touch with the relationship with the spiritual realm. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. In other words, God's not just going to show up on your doorstep when you say you don't believe in him. If you want a relationship with God, you got to knock, and then the door will be open. Now, you might have to knock one day. You might have to knock 50 years. That's between you and God. I knocked, I knocked for 10 years every day. And then one day, oh, my life changed. Well, let's talk about big change, big change, big change. We're going to run over today. Let me see what the time is. We're going to run over. I'm sorry. It's just that kind of a day. Let's play this clip, this clip, this short, this next one on the list. Look at what's going on in the world. Here comes some change. Here's a Muslim talking about the Jews. Mia Khalifa's misinformation on history. Israel has only been a state since 1948. Palestine is thousands of years old. I remember this guy. Jesus Christ on a motorbike. <laughs> Sorry, Mia, you are wrong. Israel is 3,000 years old, 75 years young. And this is not coming from a Jew, but from a proud Muslim. The prophets of God whom I believe in were Israelites. A significant number of these prophets disseminated their teachings in the land of Canaan. A land which Joshua bin Nun later renamed 
Israel. And then King David proclaimed Jerusalem as the nation's capital. Yes, Mia, it wasn't Donald J. Trump, it was King David. Even Jesus of Nazareth, Mia, called the land Israel in the Gospel of Matthew. The Roman Emperor Hadrian expelled Jews from Israel, erasing the name Judea. He supplanted it with the Roman Latin term Syria Palestina, which evolved into Palestine. Similarly, the city of Shechem was changed to Neapolis or Nablus, which means in Roman Latin, new city or new place. The Jewish people, dear me, are not foreign colonialists in the land of Israel. I wish you'd inform your audience that Israelis and Palestinians ought to coexist peacefully and that peace is the only way, not marring history or disseminating falsehoods. Please share this video as it may reach Mia and others so that they know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Okay, this guy is the doppelganger of Professor Pat. He was a Muslim seeking peace because if you have faith in God, God wants us to pursue peace. So he's my brother. This is my brother. This is my brother. I'm sure one day I'm going to meet him. I don't even know why I'm saying that. Love this guy. Okay. Hopefully nobody hurts him. I got a lot of people trying to hurt me. Or at least saying they want to hurt me because I'm talking about peace. Because we're pushing on these judgments. I'm going to truncate uh, today. And we'll, we'll uh, only run over about mm, a few minutes. It'll be a few minutes. And I'm not going to comment after. We're going to go out with a 20-minute piece by Rabbi Weiss. He's also the brother of this young Muslim man. I'm not going to stop it. I'm just going to let it run out. And I'm going to ask you to watch it. This is... Uh, being shared by me because this is how I was raised. I was raised by these kind of people, people that questioned the legitimacy of a Marxist state that wrapped itself in legitimacy by using a biblical claim to the land of Israel, but the people who were making the claim didn't believe in God. People who believed that the only legitimate time for Israel to be reformed as a nation was under the stewardship of a Messiah. People who believed the exile of the Jews out of Israel was God's will. People who were subservient and submitted themselves to the Lord. So Nick Fuentes, who seems to have, and all, you know, Stu Peters, there's all these people pumping all this anti-Jewish information into Acts and into the dialogue. I just would like a distinction to be made between people who actually believe in God and people who have given up their belief in God to believe in materialism. I know that the Jews that I grew up with did not believe in Christ, but I know they believed in God, and that does not make them evil. It makes them... Is God through with working with you or with me? God's not through working with me. I know I still sin. I know I'm still horrifying sometimes. I'm just being honest, honest about it. Now, if you can be that honest, if you can look in the mirror and say, whoa, why did I do that? Uh, you're being honest. I'm not a perfect person. God's not through with me. God's not through with religious Jews. Because one day I was a religious Jew, you know, going to synagogue, not believing in Christ, 
and the next day, Christ appeared to me. That's how much God wanted to rescue me. So let us have some patience for the religious who really have not yet had that moment of truth, but they still believe in God. They're seeking, they're knocking, and they're a small group of people. Think of the billions of people in this world that are just getting high and, uh, you know, doing whatever. These are people, these Jewish people are dedicated to God. Let's discriminate Nick Fuentes and Stu Peters and the anti-Jewish people. Let's realize there are servants of the Lord in their own way in all of our cultures. And there are people that hate the spiritual world. And they're doing things that are really quite evil. Let's get the fire put on the folks that are causing the problem and let's preserve the process of evolution for the people that have dedicated their lives to God. I want to thank you for joining. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. I wish you well-being. And please take this next 19 minutes and 55 seconds and watch The Faithful. Thank you very much and have a nice weekend. Welcome to Let the Quran Speak. I'm here with Rabbi Yisrael Dovid Weiss. He supports Palestinians, and I'm going to ask him why that's so. Rabbi, welcome to Let the Quran Speak. Thank you, um, and it's an honor, a privilege to be on your program. No, it's wonderful to talk to you. So tell me, Rabbi, why do you oppose the state of Israel, first of all, and why do you support Palestinians? Okay, uh, first I pray to the Almighty that he bestow upon me his truth, his wisdom, that I may be worthy of conveying his message and so sanctify his name. Uh, I, it's, it's not my personal opinion. What I'm representing, with God's help, is the opinion of uh, the very religious Jews around the world, mm -hmm. including in Al-Quds in, in Jerusalem, including, um, well, throughout Europe and throughout the world, basically. Uh, we, as a Jewish people, have made a covenant with God 3,000 years ago on Mount Sinai, Moshe Rabbein and Moses went up and took the Torah from God and made, we made a covenant to uphold the Torah. That is what Judaism is all about, mm -hmm. to uphold this covenant, to be close to the Almighty, to be subservient to the Almighty. Uh, this movement, the concept of creating a state uh, sovereignty and what they want to call a Jewish sovereignty, that concept, that was, is a movement that started around 150 years ago. It is a transformation from subservience to God into nationalism. Hmm. Have a piece of land, uh, to be a nation amongst nations, to be comparable to all the great countries. Now, that in and of itself, even if it would have not affected the Palestinian people, the inhabitants, the indigenous people, in other words, if the land would have been uninhabited, mm -hmm. it would still be forbidden for the Jewish people to have this concept of sovereignty, of uh, a nationalism. Hmm. Uh, because we have a long history. We made the covenant with God 3,000 years ago to uphold the Torah, and we were then commanded to go into the Holy Land and, uh, and build a temple, which King Solomon built a temple. But we were... Uh, uh, warned by the Almighty and instructed by the Almighty that we have to be in a very high level of spirituality. If not, then we will be driven from the land. And that came around 2,000 years ago. Uh, 
the Romans and the, and the Greeks, they, they, drew, they came, they invaded the Holy Land and the Jews were driven from the land as a nation. Once that happened, we were put under a decree of exile. And so for 2,000 years, we're under a decree of exile by the Almighty, meaning that we are told by the Almighty that it, it is His will that we should not be the sovereign nation. It, we should be loyal citizens in every country we're residing. And we should not attempt to return en masse as a large group of people or try to recreate even one small, one inch, one centimeter of, of a Jewish sovereignty. Because it is like medicine from God to break our haughtiness, that's what we believe. Mm -hmm. So there is actually three, we were put under three oaths and that King Solomon who built the temple had, wrote a book of prophecies called Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs, and he speaks about these three oaths that God put us under. One is that we should not return en masse to the Holy Land once we were dispersed amongst the nations. Secondly, we are not to rebel against any nation. We have to be loyal citizens in every country we reside. A Canadian citizen has to pray for the well-being of the country, even if you're not happy or let's say uh, throughout a history Jews were many times forbidden to buy land and they were taxed to a, a yeah. much higher degree. Still in all we have to be loyal citizens and not rebel against that country. Thirdly, we are not to make any attempt to end exile. Why? Because it's because of our sins we are out, spread out. God is compassionate and the Almighty when the time will come, which every Jew yearns for, that the time will eventually come, with the Almighty will make a metaphysical change in the world and all humanity will recognize one God, then God will return us and God himself will build, rebuild the temple without any human intervention. Uh, there will be a spirit, uh, like a miraculous spirit in the world still stopping atheists and so forth. Everybody will believe in God. It says, all the nations will hold hands and join to serve God. That will happen. Then we will return and we will become close to God again in his heart. That so how, how, how does that come about? Like, how would you know that, that we're well, in that, that state? We will know that because, like I said, there will be a spirit of holiness, of godliness. There will be a spirit of people returning. The Messiah. See, obviously, the Jewish and Muslim people have a distinctly different concept of what the Messiah is, Mashiach. But we believe, but that's, uh, that's uh, uh, really uh, neither here nor there because because what will happen, it will happen. And we were never deemed a threat for the Muslim people because of the difference of our approach, because we are clearly, as I've mentioned, we are forbidden to make any attempts to return. Mm -hmm. We just believe and we pray to God constantly that he should bring about this end day uh, and when all humanity will serve him. So we yearn to return. Mm -hmm. We yearn with all our hearts. We say it in our, every day in our prayers that we want. But we, are, we, but we haven't for 2,000 years. We uh, patiently wait and we serve God, upholding the Torah, the covenant, in every land where we are, being all citizens and so forth. Zionism was created by mostly non-religious Jews. It was a nationalist movement of people who, uh, who uh, estranged themselves from God, from the Torah. They were non-religious. I always like to carry around the picture of uh, the, the first, this was the Declaration of Independence, the first Prime Minister, David Ben-Gurion. And they're making a so-called Jewish state, 1948. Yes. And so it's Jewish, supposedly they're doing us, they're returning to God, they're mm -hmm. saying it's the end of exile, and not one of them is covering their heads. Hmm. You know, so you see what the, the falseness of it. Mm -hmm. But still in all, the Zionists, they, they, they put on a facade 
and they uh, of Judaism. They uh, incorporated religion in order that the world should say, oh, it's a religious thing. We have to support them, the evangelistic Christians, and the millions and millions support them. Uh, Jews who don't know the Torah well, unfortunately, the more non-religious, and the, they say, oh, and they have this emotional uh, of, uh, playing, uh, you know, that, oh, it's returning 2,000 years, we're in exile. That's the difference between Judaism and Zionism. Now, so in other words, in short, and very concisely, Judaism is subservience to God, Zionism is nationalism, and it's expressly forbidden for us. So around the world, no matter what community, if you go to Argentina, you go to England, uh, Stanford Hills in London, New York, where we're from, the, the, the very religious community, and in Jerusalem, um, the very religious community is in total opposition to the creation of the state. And, um, and now we ha I have to add something very important. In other words, for us to have a state, as I said, would be even in an uninhabited land. But being that they created this state in a land that they, they, they needed for their purpose, Palestine, but Palestine was an inhabited land. The majority were Muslims. The second group of people that lived there in, in numbers were the, were the Christians, and the third were the Jews. Because as individuals, we were allowed to, by God, were permitted to live there, but not as a nation. So the, in order for them to create their state, they had to uh, expel, at least on the best, the, 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 the Palestinian people. That is, it's against, it flies in the face of what our Torah is about, because in the Torah it says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. We, we have to be, mahu rachum, afatate rachum, just as God is compassionate, we have to be compassionate. I mean, and certainly not to steal or kill and, and, and expel people. How dare they? And, uh, and on top of that, we have to remember that in this 2,000 years of exile that we've suffered so much because we are Jews, uh, the Jews were burnt at the stake. They were tried. They were tried. They tried to forcefully convert Jews in the, in the, by the Crusades, by the Inquisition, and where did they, they were expelled from Spain, from Italy. From, where did the Jews go? The Muslim lands took in the Jews. They embraced us in mm -hmm. every Muslim land. Uh, Iran, um, uh, wherever you would like, Palestine was under the Ottoman um, Empire. They took us in and we flourished in their lands. There was no human rights groups to protect us, yet we flourished. It wasn't necessary human rights. So now to the, for the Zionists to come along and accuse the Muslims of an ingrained hate to Jews or the Palestinian people of an ingrained hate, how dare they, how repugnant, how, uh, in, in, in where we have to show, the Torah requires us to show gratitude for people and to go and turn that on its head and say, these people wronged us. There's, all of this is the most uh, criminal part of this, what we, the Arab and Muslim and the Palestinian people would call the Nakba. Hmm. Mm -hmm. We have a picture here even, you can see how we used to live together and we babysat each other's children. We lived in total peace. This concept, so the, 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 that is why the very religious around the world, we stand in total support. We hurt, we cry with the Palestinians. We are humiliated because the Zionists took our religion and they're using it as a tool to occupy, to intimidate, to silence other people because if you speak up against them, you're called anti-Semitic. So we, 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 the religious communities, uh, stand in opposition. Mm -hmm. how, yeah. how do you oppose the Zionist movement? Well, the first thing is we believe, we, first of all, we, we do not accept it. We do not part, part, participate with them. We have the very religious communities doesn't, uh, does not serve in the army, certainly not. 
Um, the, they, uh, they, they don't go voting. They have nothing to do with the state. We have a rabbinate there. The Zionists made a rabbinate, all for this facade. But they masquerade in Jews, so they made a rabbinate with a chief rabbi. And this is all by us irrelevant. We have a rabbi, we had in the 1940, uh, in 1920s, the chief rabbi of the religious community that was living there for hundreds of years was Rabbi Zonenfeld. And he met with the king of Transjordan in 1920s, that's way before the state, to declare our loyalty and that we don't want to stay. He, he passed on in 1947, 1948, the chief rabbi was Rabbi Dushinsky. The Zionists then were very, were turning to, out to be very successful in having the United Nations, the Britain, through Britain, to, to get uh, recognized. So Rabbi, Zon, Rabbi Zonnefeld, uh, Rabbi Dushinsky, a blessed memory, this is the records of the United Nations. In 1947, a declaration before the United Nations, he said, we furthermore wish to express our definite opposition to a Jewish state in any part of Palestine. This is the very religious, representing the religious Jewish community, says so we don't want a Jewish state. And these people are imposters, the one are doing it. And the history is, when he passed on, we took a next, you can see hundreds of thousands of people in the streets of Jerusalem, taking up our next chief rabbi when he passed on. Mm -hmm. we, we have hundreds of thousands of Jews living there now, under this Eid this God-fearing community that does not recognize uh, the authority of the state of Israel. They, in fact, they demonstrate daily. What they demonstrate, and they see children get, uh, we never carry arms, we're not militant. They get beaten. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, mm -hmm. Old men get assassinated, rabbis. This is, it's unbelievable. You can go to our site, NKUSA, and see, and, and the world is silent. They don't even talk about the fact that Jews daily are demonstrating against the occupation. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, and it's, it's just, it's, 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 it screams to the, to the skies what, what is happening, the injustice to the Palestinian people and to the Jewish people who are living there who refuses to accept this authority. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Rabbi, do you, do you ally yourself with other Jews who are not Orthodox, who oppose the state of Israel? Oh, that is a very good question. We, um, being that there was the reform movement like 250 years ago, and our rabbis at that time issued a fatwa, Basically, <laughs> yeah, okay. um, um, two, 200 of the leading rabbis of Europe, when they said this is a, a heresy, it's a rebellion against God, you can't reform God's Torah. They don't eat kosher, they don't keep the Ten Commandments, they don't keep the Shabbos, the Sabbath. So they said we're not to be affiliated with them. So we, we work with the Muslim people, we work with the Palestinian people, and they'll come to the same demonstrations, but we won't have joint activities directly. But if they're there, we, you know, we just, but we, uh, they do a lot of them, you know, a lot of people who are Jewish, who are non-religious, they have, uh, they feel it's human rights or because even other Jewish reasons that they'll stand up in opposition. There's many really tens and tens of thousands or more who are opposing the occupation, but we, are coming from the core issue that the Zionists are claiming the legitimacy. We are telling them, telling the world that they're conning the world. It's unacceptable. So we're coming from the religious state. Mm -hmm. And here, this is a picture of a girl behind bars. Every boy and girl who turns 17 becomes a criminal from the religious community because they refuse to serve in the army, in the IDF, which is mandatory military service. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are all very, very critical issues. We, we, why is it so critical for people to understand? Because people, the, the, they're very wily, they're very efficient in what they do design is, and they, they, li they like to refer to themselves as a Jewish state. They insist they're to be referred as a Jewish state. 
Why? Because then they know that if anybody wants to oppose what they're doing, criminal to the Palestinian people, they're taking their homes, they're stealing, they're killing, they're doing so many uh, terrible crimes. But if you say words, oh, you're speaking against a godly religion, so and you're attacked as being anti-Semitic, and now they just made here, they're making a new law, they're trying to pass the I, um, uh, IHRA, I mm-hmm. think, and, and, and that's going to say that if you speak up against Zionism or the state of Israel, it's anti-Semitic. What could be more ludicrous and what, what could be more... <laughs> Uh, unacceptable mm-hmm. than such a concept when the very religious communities are being oppressed and insisting we are Jews. My grandparents were killed in Auschwitz. I come. Most of our communities are immigrants from uh, from from Europe. We died because we were Jews because we insisted on remaining this religion, the, our covenant to God. And we did not accept that because we suffered that therefore we're going to turn around and occupy another people. That's a we, we, we suffer and now we should go sin against God that we gave our lives for by stealing and killing and doing against God's will. And so we are, we're against the Zionism and we are being oppressed. The ones of the Jewish people who, didn't, who found a home in Palestine and were living there, these immigrants, and they were living there trying to catch the breath from so much suffering. All of a sudden, they, were, they, they enjoyed being under the authority of the Ottoman Empire. And all of a sudden, they're thrown under the Zionist control and told that if you stand up and oppose this rebellion against God, you are thrown into prison, you are a criminal. How does the world take the authority to, to dictate in our religion what it's, instead of respecting our scholars, our, which you have here in Canada, if you have in the United States, we have our community, um, let's say in New York, it's the largest concentration of religious Jews where, where mm, I yes. lived in, right across from Manhattan, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, miles and miles, and there's not one single Israeli flag. Our, the chief rabbi of Palestine, Rabbi Teitelbaum, moved there, and, um, and uh, these distinguished communities, thriving, uh, illustrious communities with great scholars and, uh, and pious people and, um, and businessmen, and they all insist that we are a religion to serve God, and God forbid that we should accept uh, uh, the occupation. Mm-hmm. And now if somebody, we decide to speak up against this rebellion against God in the name of my religion and, and call out to the world that they're imposters, they're using my religion, that we should be, and, and people who are standing together with us should be accused of being anti-Semitic, that is unjust, it's unacceptable, and we decry that. And that's what we do with the, for the power. We try with God's mm-hmm. help. We, we pray to God that he should bring a speedy and peaceful dismantling the state. At the same time, we go to the United Nations. We go with Palestinian people to cry their, their, their hurt, to speak, go to their demonstrations, to try to educate. We go to universities, to colleges, to uh, uh, con- conferences, and to tell uh, to the politicians we to to, uh, to have them change their approach and not to support the oppression of the Palestinian people. Rabbi, thank you for sharing with us today. We really appreciate it. I learned so much, and uh, I'm honored that you came and joined us today. I'd love to do again whenever we can expand on all the different issues and our history of how we live together yes. in, in harmony and in, uh, in, in, so, in such a beautiful 
uh, uh, to serve God. And it, it, distinctly, you know, we have different uh, religions, but with never an impediment. You're of right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's so much to talk about. So there much is, of the yes. facts. So one day we'll continue with God's help. Inshallah. You say inshallah too, right? We say in 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 with God's help. Mm -hmm. But I say inshallah. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it.